As I mentioned, we're on a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous sermon in all of history. It's also arguably the most understood. And so we're taking these weeks up until Advent, up until the Christmas season, to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Shane Hatfield last week spoke about the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about oaths. And it was my turn to speak this week on the next in line, which is on lust. But I didn't, honestly, I just didn't feel right about baptizing two children, both beautiful, and then talking about lust. So we're going to skip, and we're going to talk, instead of lust, we're going to talk about wealth. Is that okay with you? We're going to talk about wealth, because this is, as I read through the Sermon on the Mount, I thought, what do I pray for Emily Penner? What do I pray for Tor and Carini? Ah, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. That they will treasure the Lord and they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. So we're going to look at that passage today and we're going to look at it with three headings. There's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with having possessions or of having money. Nothing wrong whatsoever with that. But money has a very intoxicating power. And if you are not careful, if you are not careful, you will become delusional about your security. And that will drive you into deeper insanity. And if you're going to win, if you're going to understand these things, then you have to understand how money is to be put to service. So we're going to look at those three ideas. First, your security. Second, your sanity. And third, your service. Now, look at the text with me, if you will. It says in verse 19 of chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Okay, let's stop. What does Jesus mean here by treasures? All the way through chapter 6 in Matthew Jesus has just gone after the Pharisees and their religious devotions. He talks about the Pharisees and their giving to the needy. He talks about the tendency for religious people, legalistic people, people who seem to be Christian on the outside but are angry and grumpy on the inside. He talks about the way they are to view prayer. He talks about the way that they are to fast. And then Jesus changes the subject and he moves from the devotions of the Christian life to talk about the applications of using the resources in the Christian life. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. The word treasures here in Greek is the Greek word thesaurus. It's a word that means wealth or stuff or possessions. It just is a generic term that means money, stuff. Possessions. But Jesus says it in a very interesting way because Jesus is not against possessions or against money. The personal property is assumed in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, for example, it says, The ant is commended for storing up its food for the winter. In 1 Timothy 5 8, it says that somebody who doesn't provide for their family is worse than an unbeliever. What Jesus is saying here is. Storing up treasure for yourself. In Greek, it's actually quite poetic. It's the word, it literally says, may, which is no, 
Thesaurusete humane thesaurus. You can hear the alliteration in Greek. What it means is do not save your savings for yourself. Do not nest your nest egg for yourself. The emphasis Jesus is making is for yourself. Because clearly there's no problem saving your money. The question is, is it your security? Jesus here draws a very striking uh, similarity. It says, do not lay it for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the principle. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is making a similarity between Christians and the rest of the world, and the similarity is this. You both lay up treasure. Thesaurusete. You lay up, you store, you save. Jesus' point is that no matter who you are, you're going to pursue security and something. That's not bad. In fact, it's human nature. Immanuel Kant was a philosopher in the 18th century, and he took issue with this with Jesus. He said, shouldn't virtue be virtuous in and of itself? When you start talking about saving things up, working for a reward, don't you like take the value out of virtue? And Jesus' point is here, no, no, no. It's assumed that humanity is going to work for reward. You always do things for the end of your own pleasure. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century uh, mathematician from France, said that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others staying home is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every man, even of the man who hangs himself. Pascal then goes on to say that because of the fall of man, we have become delusional in what we understand our happiness to consist in. We're like people who are at the carnival, at the Tulsa State Fair, you know, when you go into the, the, uh, the, uh, the fun house and you see the carnival mirror and it makes skinny things look fat and fat things look skinny. That is how we are when it comes to wealth. If you are not careful, if you are not careful to redirect the power and the influence of money, it can consume you and you will begin to think that it is your security. It was Buddha, not Jesus, by the way, who said to reject all pleasure. Jesus never says reject your pleasure. Jesus says you have to redirect it in ways that make you recognize where your true security lies. What does your security lie in? This week, how consumed are you about finances? 25th of the month, things get thin. Is the Lord Jesus Christ, is he the security that you most ardently long for? Jesus says very clearly, he cannot say it any clearer, if you do not place your trust in him for your security, 
then undoubtedly you will have a kind of evanescent glory, looking like your bank account is plumb full. And then what happens? Nature, moth, time, rust, and people, thieves, can take it away just like that. Listen, Christianity is different than all other religions because we have a God who doesn't just stand outside of nature, but one who came in and incarnated into the world itself that he made good. And he did so so that he could come and take our place. And he could teach us how to then cast our lives onto the work that his father had planned for all eternity to save humanity for himself. And we oftentimes ignore the fact that those things we place our security in, whatever it may be, your stuff, Jesus here is attacking money, whatever it is, is fleeting. Just like Patricia, which is coming on the coast toward Houston right now. Listen, your homeowner's insurance probably doesn't cover floods. It can happen like that. And unless you get so consumed with your um, life insurance and your flood insurance and your home insurance, listen, you will be a wreck. It will exhaust you until you're able to say, Lord, I want to make provision for the winter like the ant. But I trust you, Jesus, to be the security for my life. Nature can take it out like that. So can time. Jesus entered into time and space, took on flesh and a human body, so that we might learn to be patient people, <laughs> so that we might learn that our possessions and our stuff do not take the place of time. Jesus also says that thieves break in and steal. Sometimes thieves don't break in and steal. Sometimes thieves drive cars through parades. Listen, this is personal to me because my mother-in-law and my little girl, who's six, we're in the same road of that car on the left, in the left-hand lane. This morning could have been very different for my family. Like they said they were fine, they were safe, and then last night we drew it out and we realized that they were like 30 feet from the accident. And there are four families and 44 other families of the injured whose lives may not ever be the same. So friends, listen, this is not an illustration of guilt. This is just an illustration of being honest. Your lives could change in an instant. Do you know that if you were to die today that you would be with your Savior? Or do you think that's something you're still working on? The gospel of Jesus Christ says that your greatest problem is sin. And the only solution to that sin is recognizing that you have no righteousness of your own, but you look to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, who died for you and me. And if you are a Christian, you know what he was thinking about as he was quoting the Psalms on that cross? He was thinking about you. He loves you that much. We think we're secure in this world, and frankly, we are not outside of Jesus. But it's not only your security, 
It's also your sanity that's at stake in this passage. Sometimes we say to ourselves, listen, if I could only have a million dollars, it would make life so much easier. Anybody bold enough to raise their hand and say they've thought that before? Bunch of lie. Oh, there we go. Okay. I've sometimes thought, listen, if I won the lottery, life would be so much better. CNN asked that question too, and they interviewed dozens of lottery winners. You know what they discovered? That almost in every single case, their lives got worse. Because they spent all of their money and they went into extravagant debt. And their friends and their family, who were once loving, supportive friends and family, now are knocking down their door trying to get a handout. And so whereas before the lottery, they had very little debt and lots of friends. After the lottery, they had a whole lot of debt and very few friends. Money makes you, it can make you delusional. Wealth, those of you who have significant means know this. Money becomes like miracle grow on your character flaws. They've always been there. But when you have the resources and the power of finances, it exacerbates those character flaws. It doesn't heal your vanity, it makes it worse. You've always been a vain person probably because the issue is not finances, it's in the heart. If you're a selfish person or a miser, then you are probably even more miserly after you got money. Do you know that people who make $25,000 or less give away 4% of their income a year? But people who make $100,000 or more give away just 1%. It's miracle grow on your character flaws. So maybe the lottery illustration is not helpful for you. Let's, let's think about it this way. Let's get really practical. We've always heard the idea that money can't buy happiness. Have you heard that term before? Money can't buy happiness. That's true on one level, isn't it? But a Harvard economist named Michael Novak actually has shown us that that statement is actually not true. He has shown that money can buy happiness. But here's the catch. If you give it away. Michael has done presentations on, through his TED Talks. He's taught classes at Harvard and the business school for years that have basically helped these people who will be people of significant wealth learn that you will grow more and more delusional if you are not constantly redirecting the power of your wealth. Hmm? It's interesting, isn't it? Do you know what happens when somebody refuses to believe Jesus and refuses to believe Harvard when they both agree. Do you know what that's called? Insanity. And some of you are growing more and more insane. Like, that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Why? Because you redirect the power of your possessions. You own your possessions rather than your possessions owning you. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Miracle grow on your character flaws. That's what money does. People think, well, money will heal my problems. No, it won't. It will exacerbate your character. And unless you learn to redirect it 
as a force for good, it will cause your eye, clear-eyed though you might be, you will begin to drink the Kool-Aid of the world that says all you need is a little bit more money. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's what you need. But Jesus says, no. In fact, you need to redirect it. And Harvard says, no, you need to give it away. This was made really um, concrete for me. Last weekend, I was away taking my eight-year-old um, to uh, the Taj Mahal of SEC football, Kyle Field in College Station. And so I took Andrew to this game, and we were driving back through Dallas. And we, we got stopped because of the Texas uh, State Fair traffic in Dallas. And we noticed that there were all of these mendicants, all of these beggars, all of these men and women on the street panhandling for money. And this was a new thing for my son. He had never seen this before. He, we live in Owasso, Oklahoma. And so I was explaining to Andrew how it worked and, and this, the, the complicated systems sometimes that are at play with these ladies and gentlemen who are asking for money on the street and the difficulty morally of knowing if you should give them money or if we should give them a QT card or if, what we should do. And so we didn't have any loose change on us, I promise. We did have, though, a plate of food, three apples, two bananas, and some granola bars that we took from the Comfort Inn um, <laughs> breakfast. And so we took this plate of food in, in my back seat, and, and I said, okay, Andrew, I'm going to roll down the window, and you're going to hand this plate of food to this gentleman. And Andrew says, okay. He said, would you like to do that? And, and we'd been talking for five or ten minutes about how we so wished we had something to give. He said, yes. And so we rolled down the window, and Andrew said, here. And he handed this man this food, and this man's, you know, he, his smile was as large as his face could smile. And he said, thank you. And Andrew said, you're welcome. I was shocked. And, and, and then um, Andrew we rolled the window up, and we were driving, and Andrew got the kind of little smile. You know, you smile when you have that deep joy where the edges of your mouth turn up, but your teeth don't show. And he reached over, and he grabbed his daddy's hand, and he just held my hand. And he interlocked his little fingers in my fingers, and he just watched the road and just smiled, the biggest joy-filled grin he could smile. And we talked for an hour after that, what was happening there? It wasn't a little boy giving someone who needed food or money, food or money. It was a little boy laying up treasures in heaven. Because for that hour, his eyesight got very clear. And he saw the joy of giving things away. Listen, how do you lay up treasures in heaven? You start small. It may be a plate of food that you took from the Comfort Inn and the Continental Breakfast. It may be that you write a check to tithe to the church for the very first time. It may be that you help someone with no strings attached. I don't know what it is for you, but you start small. Possessions and wealth and money are great things to be used to extend the kingdom. But if you're not careful and you begin to believe that they are your security, you will get delusional. You will grow more insane and deluded by your false view of your security. And to win in the end, you have to learn how to put your wealth to service. 
Put your wealth to service. Now, when a pastor comes to this point in a sermon, he always tries to think of like clever, you know, like um, ways to describe how the application applies. And here, I'm just thankful that the Apostle Paul himself preached the same sermon to Timothy once. And Paul tells us how to put our money to service. If your Bibles, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says, To Timothy, his young protege, toward the very end of his first letter to Timothy, he says, as for the rich in this present age, by the way, that would include all of you. You are rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't put your security in your wealth. Don't be arrogant. Look down your nose at other people nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, moth and rust and thieves, nature, time, and other humans, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Are you generous? Are you ready to share? One very practical way of beginning to lay up treasures in heaven are to begin to invest in things that matter for eternity. That may be handing somebody who's hungry an apple. That may be some of you decide to give to God's kingdom for the first time. That's a wonderful thing. And yes, maybe today's the day that you start to tithe. the first. That's wonderful. You should do it. You will be happier. That's from Harvard, not from me. If you give your money, you will be happier. Not my words. Michael Novak, business school professor at Harvard. Start small. He goes on. Because thus, verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Augustine preached on this passage in the 4th century. Martin Luther preached on it in the 16th century. And both Augustine and then later Martin Luther picked up on a very, very dangerous loophole in this text. And it's this. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But I, I, need, to, I need to amass my wealth, not for my sake. I want to obey what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. But for my children's sake. I want to do it for my children's sake, not for my sake. This isn't about me. It's about my children. And Martin Luther called out people who tend to think this, and this is what he said. Luther said that see to it That greed does not take you or your children into a higher social position because the more you get, the more you will want and you will always be aiming for something higher or better because no one outside the gospel can be satisfied with his position in life. For me, practically, personally, the best way that I can apply this text to my life is by teaching my children and my wife reminding me and and me reminding my wife that we measure our worth not by the amount of money that we have or do not have, 
but by the fact that we are known by the Lord Jesus Christ. And moms and dads, when you can teach your children to measure their worth not by their stuff, but by who knows them and who loves them, you've succeeded as a parent. It's a beautiful thing. One commentator said of this text that serving mammon, money, is the, the form of idolatry with which the devil operates after the old idols lose their attraction for Christianized people. The word here when he says you can't serve God or money, the word here is mammon. It's an Aramaic word that refers to the God, mammon, who is the God of humanity. And Jesus is saying you can't serve both God and money. Mammon stood for stuff, money, wealth, provision, the things that you place your security in. You can't serve both of them. Uh, One commentator said, we are all asked by Jesus to turn our backs on the goals and the goods of this world to be the real atheists of our culture, denying the gods to whom most give unquestioning fealty. The power of wealth is a force for good, but if you do not redirect it, it will lead you to greater insecurity. It will lead you to greater insanity. And the way to begin to redirect this is to put it to service for the kingdom's sake, investing in things that are eternal, laying up for yourselves things in heaven, not things on earth. From the boardroom to the boardwalk, from the mansions to the shanty towns. No matter where you are, no matter where you work, no matter how much your personal wealth is, who cares? The gospel is no respecter of persons. Do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you redirect your longing for provision? I do. And I imagine some of you do too. And the only reason why this is good news for us is because you already have what is best in the world, namely the love of God the Father, if you are in Christ. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. You've been given everything that is His. Now, you may not have it materially. You may not ever have it materially, and that's okay. But you have the love of the Father, which is something far, far better than anything that you could buy. Do you possess your possessions or do your possessions possess you? God offers you security and in a world that says you just need more, the gospel offers you sanity and rest. Are you willing to serve in that way? You can do it. If you know that though he was rich, yet for his sake, for your sake he became poor so that by you, You are made wealthy, that he became poor, that Jesus, who was the one who owns everything, left it all for you, so that whether you are rich or poor, you might say, yes, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's my security, that's my sanity, and that's the joy of my service for the kingdom. Can we be a church like that? Oh, it would save so much anxiety in our hearts. But we need each other to do it because this is hard. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it because you are beloved children of God. 
So let's serve like that. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'll help us to not be afraid of wealth, but also not to be owned by it. Help us to redirect it in ways that extend your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that though you were rich, yet for your sake, Father, he became poor so that by Jesus, in his poverty, we might become rich. In Jesus' name, amen.